for me to stand and to, to get to share some things. And um, Bob has, Bob and Justin have both kind of set, um, set me up with a, a nice ball on a tee um, to share some really fun stuff with you today. And so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to do that. Um, I do want you to know that one of the biggest tools that God has given me over the last probably over the last 20 years of learning about him is being a parent, is being a parent. God has taught me a whole lot about himself and about how he views us as creation by being a parent. And I just want to say today's Father's Day, and I want to say happy Father's Day to those of you in, in the congregation who are, are fathers. If you're a father, raise your hand. And if you're not a father, everybody give those people a round of applause. Um, you know, one of the interesting things about being a parent is that um, I absolutely love sleep. Like, I love sleep. It is one of my favorite things. Um, I like taking a nap. I come home, you know, like, and there's a nice comfy couch. I'll put my head down, take a nap or whatever. Um, I do not like going to bed at night for some reason, but um, I have some serious FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, so going to bed at night's a little bit more complicated for me, but um, like, I love a great night's sleep, okay? And one of the things that I know that don't go together are having babies and getting a good night's rest. Those two things do not go together. Okay? And so um, I know that when, when Renee and I started having children, my wife is over here. She's, she's one of the best things. She's also the other largest tool that God has used to teach me th some things in life. Sometimes, I've said this before, sometimes God's voice sounds a little like hers. Um, uh, but one of the things that we've always desired to do to make sure that happened when we had our children was that if we could just get a good night's rest, if we could just get some sleep, then I think we would be better parents than we were if we were exhausted. And so as we started having children, we would put these plans in place. Okay, if they could just get to this weight, then we could make sure that they could sleep through the middle of the night, right? Or... Um, if they demonstrated like they could sleep from like midnight until six o'clock in the morning, that meant that we could get a good night's rest. And we would put these plans in place for how to good, get a good night's rest, okay? And we worked really hard at those things. And our philosophy was that once our children demonstrated that they had the ability to get a good night's, that like they had the ability to do something, that that was going to be our new expectation. Um, and so we would do that. We would put our children to bed, and we would go get in bed, and we'd fall asleep, and then invariably, like 3 o'clock in the morning, we'd hear some crying or something would wake us. And we would, you know, in our, in our exhaustedness, we would get up and go attend to the child instead of knowing that they were going to be okay. And, and I'm just, I, it floored me how quickly I could just change my plans and just go, I know that they're supposed to be sleeping through the night, but they sound really, they sound really upset. I'm going to go in there and get them. I'm floored by my inability to keep this plan, this purpose. Like the purpose, the purpose for this was like for us to get a good night's rest. But it always got changed and it always got altered. And I was, I'm amazed that, and almost a little disgusted at my inability 
to keep the focus in front of me, the purpose in front of me. And you know what? It is hard getting a good night's rest with a family of five. Like, it is hard trying to get all those people to sleep through the middle of the night. It is difficult. So any of you who are with children, I am standing in front of you right now going, I am so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know that you're sleep deprived. And if you decide to close your eyes during the middle of my sermon, it's okay. I, I, I totally understand. But I also want you guys to know, it is hard work keeping that purpose in front of you, keeping that focus in front of you. And I just wonder if sometimes God is teaching us some things here in this life that he is going to use in our eternal life. And so um, last week, Bob talked a little bit about our ability, um, our, our ability to find joy in hardship um, and really like how important that is to find joy in our hardship, to find joy even when things aren't going particularly well, but for us to be able to go, hey, this is good. Life is good, God is good, and I trust that. He also talked a little bit about the fact that God expands our capacity, even if it's uncomfortable for us, for his plan. He expands our capacity. And today we're going to move forward um, into Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 through 26. And so I have a friend of mine, it's on page, uh, I believe it's on page 1671 in your pew Bible, but I have a friend, um, his name's Bloss, he's a good friend of mine from Young Life, um, he's going to stand um, where he is and he's going to read out loud um, from, from the Bible, um, Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. So whenever you're ready, Bloss, lead the way. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provisions of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that has happened to me will return out of my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I, des des I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will bound on account of me. Thank you, boss. There is some pretty heavy stuff in this passage of scripture. Like there's some pretty big things that are going on. We are talking about life and death. Um, this isn't like, hey, how to, how to do good job, um, how to not curse, how to, how to not do some things. This is about life and death. And Paul I'm going to refresh a little bit of your memories about what's going on. Paul is like, he is in Rome, okay? And he has been, as Bob explained last week, he has been put on house arrest, okay? So Paul is in this place. He is literally chained to a Praetorian guard, 
okay? Day and night, he is chained to Praetorian Guard. He is that dangerous, okay, that they chained him to somebody to watch over him 24 hours a day. Um, and Paul is facing not just like, hey, um, you don't do this with just, just anybody. I mean, these are folks who are trying, they're trying to decide whether they are going to put Paul to death or if they're going to send him away or if they're going to like let him go and send him away into exile. And so Paul is in this place and he is facing heavy stuff, life and death. And I want us to look at some of the passages that are there, some of the words that are in this passage, especially in verses 18 and 19, okay? Um, So in verses 18 and 19, Paul says this, for the important thing, this is about halfway through 18, he says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is priest, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul knows he has a purpose. He has a purpose in life. He has a purpose not just in this life, but a purpose in eternal life. And Paul's purpose is super simple. (laughs) Christ is preached. That is Paul's purpose. Paul says, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. When I was walking on on the road and God blinded me, like took me aside, put shekels over my eyes, made it so that I couldn't see, and then let me see again. He goes, I know from that moment my purpose on the face of this earth is to do one thing. It is to preach Christ, that Christ is preached. And when, it's, when those words are there, it doesn't just mean like, hey, I'm, I'm doing exactly what I'm doing here this morning, that I'm preaching about Jesus. It is that I am showing all of humanity the greatness of God. I am showing the humanity, all of humanity the greatness of God. I have this purpose, and no matter what happens... That purpose is of utmost importance, that I preach Christ, that Christ is made known to all of humanity, because he knows that a couple of things happen when Christ is preached. When Christ is preached, a little later on, it talks about the provisions that have been made. He knows that when Christ is preached, God's provisions are unleashed, like the prayers And the actual words, the name of Jesus Christ, when those are spoken, like provisions from heaven, from God, are made available to all of us. It's almost as if God said, hey, whenever you mention my name, or whenever you pray to me, or whenever you talk to me, or whenever you spend time with me, or whenever you preach my name and my greatness is made known, I'm going to take the faucet that is provision for you, and I'm going to turn it on. It's going to be turned on, and it will satisfy all of us. It's not just provision for Paul. It is provision for every one of us. God turns the spigot on when Christ is made known. 
And then it says later on, it says, when the provisions are unleashed, we, and in this case, Paul, is delivered. So when the provisions are turned on, when God turns on the spigot, when God says, hey, everything that I have is yours, and when you, when you talk about my greatness, the provisions are unleashed and deliverance is made. That is a big deal. Paul knows that whether he lives or whether he dies, if Christ is preached, provisions are unleashed and we're delivered. Like, that is a big deal. He knows his purpose. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. I want to take just a second to ask you guys a few questions. Um, actually, it's just one question. Um, and if I had to ask the question, if you were answering as if you just didn't hear what I said, what would you say? What is your purpose? What's your purpose? Or even if you're answering for the person who's sitting next to you, what would you say is your purpose? Give me a few, a few thoughts. Earthly purposes. Purposes in life. These don't have to be the Jesus answers, by the way. To spread love. Yes, I like it. What else? What's that? Raise my kids. That's great. What else? No other purposes in life. This is a purposeless group of people. I love it. Yes. Help people. Okay. I like that. Give. I like that. You guys are well, back there. To do the will of God. I love it. I love it. You know what? If you were to sit in a crowd, is there somebody over here? To make my parents happy. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> Here's the funny thing about purposes. is a lot of times we get caught up in what our purposes are here on the face of this earth. Okay? And if you were to ask me uh, about a week ago before I started preparing for this, I might have said a few of these things. Well, I want to be a good husband because that's important. I want to be a good dad. I want to provide for my family and I want to have a nice retirement, okay? Those would all be what I would consider earthly purposes. They would all be what I would consider earthly purposes. And I want you to know there is one really quick judge on whether your purposes are good for your eternal purposes as well as the face of the earth is do they apply to you after you die? Do they apply to you after you die? Um, the, the next part of this passage of Scripture is absolutely, um, it's, it's one of my favorite, favorite parts of Scripture. Um, because the choice that Paul is making in life here isn't between life and death. It's whether my purposes are going to be pointed towards here on earth or pointed towards an eternal experience. Um, one of the coolest things that, that, that I think I, found, I find in Scripture is that God um, 
has provided lots and lots of places and lots and lots of imagery for us as we, as we study scripture. And one of my favorite images uh, that happens over and over and over in the Bible is when God talks about his, um, his kingdom and all that stuff as being a great banquet, okay? As you can tell, I love to eat. It is something that I love to do. I love to sit down and have a meal and, and to, to experience, experience like this whole like dinner thing and be with folks and enjoy, enjoy company, okay? Uh, I absolutely love it. And I want, I want to show you this passage, uh, show you this little video clip. It's from uh, uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's this group of folks that have, they've been out on this voyage on a ship for a long time. And they've been going from island to island to island to island. And they are, uh, they're, they're, they've come to this island where there are four kings that are seated at a table um, and they're all asleep, and they have all these like vines and things growing over the top of them. Um, and this group is trying to decide what do we do with this table that is set in front of everybody that is set there. What do we do with it? How do we experiencing it? How do we ex- experience it? So we're gonna watch this video clip. Who are you? I'm the Neander, daughter of the Nandi. Are you a vine? Or a star? You are most useful. It is a bit of a distraction for you, but I can bring the No! You can go ahead and stop it right there. Um, it's interesting, like, there's this beautiful table in the middle of kind of the darkness. Um, there's this beautiful banquet that has been set up, and literally the word, she says, the food is for you. Like, it's for us. The banquet has been set. The table is there. It's, and, and like several places in Scripture, it talks about the kingdom of God being like a banquet table. Um, but I want you to know that there's some interesting things that happen in there, in that, in that little video clip. One, the visitors have been, they've been taught by life to be suspect of the table that has been set before them. They've been taught to go, wait a minute, is this a trap? Wait a minute, what's going on here? Do we really know that this is good for us? Um, They've been taught that by life. Um, The unknown for them, and if I really think about it in my own life, 
the unknown about what's about ready to happen scares the bejesus out of me. And it scares the bejesus out of them. And how could something so marvelous be in this place that is so dark? If we're going to continue and talk a little bit about the, this banquet theme, this banquet thought process, I want to ask, does anybody know what the parts of a seven-course meal are? Anybody know any of the parts of a seven-course meal? Go ahead and raise your hand. I want to know what, if you know what the parts are. Dessert. There's dessert. <laughs> sure enough, Steve Jewell, right to dessert. Dessert is one. Soup, salad are two of the main courses. They're two, they're two of the parts of the seven-course meal. So you got three so far. What else? A fish course? Sometimes that's usually in a 10-course meal. I did a little bit of research here. But I appreciate that you are going above and beyond. I love that. What else? What's that? The appetizers. Appetizers, huge. What else? What's that? The main entree. Yes, you guys have five. Five of the seven. What else? The other two are French words. What's that? Fruit or cheese plate. Oh, once again, 10 course. <laughs> Sorbet is actually called, like, a sorbet is a, is a part of the last part, which is called the mangradis, okay? It's the very last thing it's designed to cleanse your palate, mangradis, but sorbet is part of that, okay? There's the very first one that you guys haven't got. What is it? What's that? Aperitif? That, I, I've never heard of that one before, but... Hors d'oeuvres, yes. I'm going to go ahead and put those up there just so you guys can see. There they are. Um, this is a big deal. Like parts of a, a seven-course meal are, uh, are these. And I want you to know, like, um, there's this thing that happens at Young Life Camp um, where on, it's like the last night before, you're, before you go home, um, there's this thing where they have, they ha it's like a banquet. They try to set it up like a banquet. And they have this place where, they, uh, where all of the work crew and summer staff are out. Like, you, basically, they close down camp. Everybody goes back to their room. They take a shower. Um, and you, you get the best clothes that you have, the, the, the underwear that you only wore once. And you put it on. And you come out and you join everybody else out kind of where, where there's this, um, like I love it, Castaway up in Minnesota, there's this big green lawn, and there are summer staff and work crew out there, and they have these silver plates that have cheese, and like cheese sticks, and hot wings, and egg rolls, and, and stuff, it's, it's orders, where you come and you're just like, what? Wait a minute, what is this? This is absolutely amazing. And you sit there and you, and you join your friends and you, and you lean in and you talk and you, and you spend time together. Um, and literally the two things, if you could put that slide back up, that'd be great. The, the first two things there, the hors d'oeuvres and the appetizers are an invitation. They're like an invitation to dinner, okay? And so you show up and, and it's, it's basically like, hey, don't eat here. Like, this isn't the meal, but it's an invitation to come in farther, to join the dinner, 
to join the banquet. And the interesting thing to me is that I feel like so many times as believers, we spend all of our time at the orders and the appetizers. That we listen to the invitation, we're there kind of mingling around and hanging out, um, and we don't ever like get curious about what's in the banquet room. And we get like, oh, I got, en- I got enough cheese here, I'm good. This should be enough. I-, I, got my- I got my egg roll. And we literally just like kind of sit down. And we pretend like that's enough, like, like that there isn't something better. We choose this earthly purpose and we don't engage in something that's greater. There's this passage there that says, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You see, Paul realizes that his purpose isn't here on earth. It is in heaven. And so Paul is sitting in in this place where he's sitting with chains on his arms and he's going, hey, you know what? Even if I die, and I kind of hope I do, my purpose is that Christ is preached and God's greatness is revealed. It doesn't matter whether I live or die here. And so he's not in this place where he's like, oh, um, I'm so sad. I genuinely think he's in a place where he's like, oh my gosh, I'm anticipating something amazing. I'm going to be here, and if I live, if the Roman government chooses for me to live, then I have something left to do. But if they choose for me to die, I still have my purpose because my purpose is not here on the earth. It is in heaven. And I get to go into the banquet. I want to show you this slide. Um, There's another slide from uh, Romans. It's a verse out of Romans, and I want to read it. It says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. I want you guys to know, if I'm the first one to tell you this, I hope I'm not. But if I'm the first one to tell you this, you are going to die. And in the great words of uh, an old pastor named Tony Campolo, you're going to die and they're going to go back to the church and they're going to eat potato salad. (laughs) At some point, you are not going to exist in this earthly life. 
And I want to ask you the question, do you have an eternal purpose? Do you have an eternal calling? Do you have something that goes greater, that's bigger than what we do here on the face of the earth? And if you don't, I want to ask you, what's going to happen? Have you thought about it? And if you haven't, maybe you should. As we get a little farther in the verse, um, I want you to know that like, God doesn't, God gives us this really cool thing. He says, yes, you're here on the face of the earth. And, and if you're in Paul's position, you're in a place where you're choosing life or death, like that that's happening right in the moment. Um, but you get the opportunity to choose to be a part of what God is doing. I can only imagine what the Praetorian guards are thinking about when they watch Paul going through all this stuff. Because like, if you look at, the, uh, at this passage of scripture, you'll notice it says, yet what will I choose is a question mark. And then he says, I don't know. But the I don't know is followed by an exclamation mark. It's not, I don't know. It's, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm going to choose. I don't know. I'm torn between living this life and departing and going to be with Jesus. Which is better by far, going and being with Jesus. But it's more necessary for you that I am here with you in the body. Shouldn't we want to be a part of the banquet? Shouldn't we want to be in that place where we're like not just appetizers or hors d'oeuvres, but that we want to like go in and be seated? Like I imagine it looks like this, you know, like if you go to a really nice restaurant or if, you're, if you've ever been to a banquet where they're serving hors d'oeuvres or whatever and you kind of walk in there and they, you know, you get a piece of cheese and you, and you walk up to the maitre d's table um, and, and you go, hey, do you have my reservation? And, and, you know, we've all been a part of this where they look through, oh yeah, Zwerink, party of two or Zwerink, party of five if I decided that I had enough money to feed my children. Um, <laughs> But like, we go to the maitre d' table and, and like, hey, do you have my reservation? And it's the same way for us. I think we get to that place where we're like, hey, the hors d'oeuvres, the appetizers are there. They're, we've been served. And now we need to go to the table and say, hey, do you have my reservation? Like, am I here? Is this the right spot? And I genuinely think that God is there, ready to greet us and go, yes. I have your reservation. He doesn't have to flip through some book. He knows. Yes, Zwerink, party of one. Yes, I have you. And then I get to ask, is my table ready yet? I want to be in there. I want to go in. And as long as I'm living on the face of the earth, it's almost like, Paul, it's almost like God is going, no, your story isn't finished yet. He's preparing something in there for us, for you, for me, that is absolutely amazing. And I have, two, I have a choice right there. I can either lay down on the floor like a little kid and cry and whine and, and wallow in self-pity, like, oh my gosh, my dinner's not ready, I'm starving, I'm hangry. Like, I can lay down right there and choose all of the things that I kind of want to do. And, and just kind of like 
be so caught up in my selfishness. But I don't think that's what God wants us to do. And I think that's the place where God, where Paul has found himself. He's like, I can choose to be at this place and find myself wallowing in self-pity. Or I could stand at the table and let God give me something to do. And I'm convinced that he gives me something to do. He says, hey, I have a tray for you. It's filled with delicious cheeses and appetizers and hors d'oeuvres. It's filled with all of the stuff that everybody likes. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this tray and I want you to go out there. And everybody that you see, I want you to offer some. And I want you to say, hey, there's a banquet. God has a banquet prepared for us. And, and I want you to take it out there and serve everything on your table. Hold nothing for yourself. Serve everything. Give it all away. And we're supposed to take this and go, I've seen it. I saw it inside. I didn't get to go inside yet, but I saw it inside and it looked absolutely amazing. And I get to go serve. And I take what I have, what God has given me, and I go and I tell people about how great God is. And I go and I tell and I, and I do the thing that Paul's purpose was, was to preach the gospel of Christ, to preach Christ. I take this thing out, and I go. And when it's empty, when I'm done with this, what do I get to do? I get to go back to the table, and I get to walk up and go, are you ready for me yet? And to this point, every time I've walked up to the table, God has gone, nope, table's not ready yet. There's more for you to do. Here's another tray. I want you to go and take this tray. It's got different stuff on it. Go. Serve it to people. Share it with people. Go. And we get to do that over and over and over again. And the, the, the problem is, is that sometimes I think we take the tray out and we get lost. We don't have the people around us to help draw us back to the banquet to help point us back to the purpose with which we were designed for, to live with Christ in eternity forever. We get lost. There's this slide up here. Um, it's, uh, Timothy Keller, is a, he's a, a pastor and a theologian, um, and he is, uh, I think in 2017, found out that he had, uh, had some cancer and, um, and was dealing with this life or death Stuff And here's what he said. From then, um, rather than living in fear of death, we should see death as spiritual smelling salts that will awaken us out of our false belief that we will live forever. When you are at a funeral, especially one for a friend or a beloved one, listen to God speaking to you, telling you that everything in life is temporary except for his love. This is reality. Paul is demonstrating for us something that is absolutely amazing. I want to read this to you. It's something that I wrote, but I want to make sure that I communicate it clearly. When Paul was placed under house arrest and claimed and chained to a Roman soldier... A choice was to be made. Either Paul could descend into pity and self-concern, or Paul could choose to be um, productive with the provisions at, of the moment. 
I'm convinced that Paul had spent enough time considering his own death, wondering about heaven, and sitting at the feet of Jesus to understand that whether, whether the outcome of his imprisonment was death or freedom, his purpose remained the same. Preach the message of Christ. As humans, we tend to believe that somehow our purpose, our goals, our destiny is somehow on earth, on this earthly side of death. And the truth is, earth is only designed to be the invitation. Our purpose is found on the other side of death. When we can remember this truth, we can begin to navigate the complexity of our earthly life. I want to ask you, do you have or have you considered an eternal purpose? Something that goes beyond this life. And if you haven't, I would suggest and hope that you might think a little bit about it. Maybe you're in the place where you have lost sight of your purpose. And I want to ask you, where can you go to be continually reminded of your eternal purpose, of your heavenly purpose? Have you spent enough time there, whether that's with church or friends or in a Bible study or, or studying scripture on your own? Have you spent enough time there? What is fruitful work? that God is calling you to right now? What is fruitful, fruitful work that God is calling you to right now? And the last question is this, what tangible way will you remind yourself over the next week that you have a heavenly purpose? We got the privilege of watching Paul as he navigated this very thought process. And I want to encourage us to lean in and go, what is my eternal purpose? What is my heavenly purpose? And how does it change the way I live? Today we get the privilege of uh, participating in communion. Um, and it is a beautiful reminder of exactly what, we're, what we've been talking about. Is that we have a heavenly purpose. So um, we're gonna, I'm going to invite the, the folks who serve communion to come up. And um, uh, over here, uh, we're, we're going to have some folks in front who will, who will serve communion. If you feel uncomfortable um, being served communion, then in the corners there are, um, there are the, uh, the little prepackaged um, communion sets. Um, and I also want you to know that there's a, a gluten-free uh, option in, in the bowl over here that's on the table. So I'm going to pray for us, and as we do that, I'm going to invite the, um, the folks who are serving communion to come forward. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you don't just uh, give us a purpose for the short time that we're here on the face of the earth, but Lord, that you give us a grander purpose, and that this invitation um, is, is, is a short time it's a blip on the radar of eternity. And yet, uh, sometimes we get really off track. So Lord, as we take communion, will you redirect us to you? 
place us back in the place where we can remember the banquet that you are preparing for us. And Lord, you are an amazing God. It is a privilege to be with you.